0: Metal mirror, just a piece of like aluminum on the wall or stainless steel on the wall. I hate those things. Because they don't actually work, right? You stand in front of them and there's something of an object there, but there's no real clarity about what it is. The reality is that when you look at that thing, Half the time it's been scrubbed with, I don't know, some kind of a, a, a sh- an object that scratches it to make it even worse than it was when it was first installed. Someday I'd like to walk into a bathroom and be there as the first person who ever looked in the thing when it was fresh and clean, and maybe you could tell what was in it. But when you look at the ones that are there in most all the bathrooms, the things that bother me about it are two things. One, that's there because somebody broke the old one, and I just think, why did you do that? And two, they just don't work. I'd rather not have a mirror. It just seems like a waste of space. Last week, we talked about the poor reflection that we often are. And that poor reflection, as described in the book of Corinthians, is similar to what you find in those bathrooms. It's this weird-looking thing that doesn't actually work very well, and yeah, there's something in it, but what that something is isn't that clear to anyone. Today I want to take you to the next bit of this very short series, just two parts, and I want to talk about the rest of what was being said in First Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is talking about love. We all know that, right? This passage gets used in weddings all the time. In fact, the last verse of this passage is sometimes the call of the wedding. You know, the last thing stated. There now remains faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? That happens all the time in weddings. We use it as this great descriptor of this magnificent thing, and that it is. Paul goes very carefully through what it means to love. He describes it, describes what it is and what it isn't. Very, very well done. But the point of the chapter really isn't what we're finding. The point of this chapter is actually, the Corinthian church is such a bad reflection of who God is, they need a reset. They're a mess. And so Paul is trying to reset them in this passage. He's trying to help them get the right footing for the job they've been called to. Last week I talked about the fact that there's, there's a fog on this mirror. We cause a lot of it. By our very breath we fog up the mirror. The, fa- the fact that we choose words from the English language to try to, disca- to discover a way to express the eternal, it's just beyond us. And so we end up fogging up the mirror. The fact that the church has a history of lots of bad activity fogs up the mirror. The fact that we've been on the wrong side of history again and again fogs up the mirror. The world's looking for a clear picture of God, and you know what it sees? The mirror in the roadside rest. Kind of a weird-looking blob with some colors and some shape, but it looks maybe like it's human, but who knows? And Corinth looked a lot like us. The Corinthians had issues. They were, first of all, from all walks of life. Understand that the Corinthian church was extremely diverse. The Corinthian church had people of all socioeconomic levels. If you start reading carefully the books of Corinthians, you start finding out they had some very wealthy people. One of their members actually sponsored Paul and the entire church for a while. There are lots of wealth in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church also has a great deal of poverty. There are people from the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. As you start reading the Corinthian letter, you find out, yeah, there are, there are people who are very poor. They don't have enough food for their meal. There are people in the Corinthian church who are from different branches of the cultural world. There's a lot of Jewish members in the Christian in the Christian church in Corinth. Some of the first converts are leaders within that congregation. There are lots of people who have that long heritage of Old Testament connection. They understand God from Moses forward. Abraham is their father. And there are lots of people in the Corinthian church who are just barely getting a grasp on who God is. There are lots of people who are brand new to the idea. And these groups are fighting. I know that has never happened at Grace Point, but it happens in other churches. People out there actually do fight with each other. We don't, but people do. We banned that here, long like twenty-five years ago, and we've not been doing it. So, but that, but it happens, and that's what's happening in the Corinthian church. And their testimony for God is suffering for it. Their reflection of who God is is a mess as a result. The reason Paul writes the book of for, the, the, the chapter in third uh, <laughs> The reason Paul writes, chapter 13 in the book of Corinthians, is simply this. They need it. They need it very badly. They need to understand the core value, the bottom line of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, after talking to them about gifts, they've been arguing and fighting about gifts, by the way. You know they've been arguing and fighting at Pollock? They've been arguing and fighting at potluck. Some people have brought things and just eaten it themselves, not willing to share because for them it wasn't potluck. It was just lunch. They've been arguing at communion service. These people have been fighting over a lot of stuff. Paul has talked to them about all of that stuff. We've gotten through chapter 12. They've been arguing about who has the best gifts. You know, the musicians, they're the cool guys. You know, the preacher, he's the man. You know, the guy who turns on the lights, without him, there are no lights. You know, they've been arguing about all the gifts and all the things that are going on. Paul wraps it up. He gets here. He's at the end of chapter 12, and he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. So verse, chapter 13, verse 1 should actually be this. Chapter 13, verse 1. This is a very unfortunate place to have the chapter division. It should start, I will show you a still more excellent way, and then begin the chapter on the relationship of man and love. So as we open, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to chapter 13. I'm not going to pick up all of it, but it's all there. Take a, take a look at it. If you need to open your device, it's fine. If you need Wi-Fi, there's open Wi-Fi. You can get into find chapter 13. If you uh, took the pledge to turn off your devices a few weeks ago and get a different rhythm in your life, good for you. I hope you brought a paper Bible with you today. Speaking for or about God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love... I am only a resounding gong, or, I love the fact that I get to do this today, Daryl. When Daryl does this, it sounds like something. You're just a clanging symbol. You have no value. You're just noise. If you're speaking for God without love, you're just noise. Now, this kind of gets home to me because I speak on behalf of God. But I want to say we all speak on behalf of God. Our voices are heard on a regular basis at work, at school, wherever we are. Our voices are heard on behalf of God. People often say of Christians, I hate this, but they say it all the time. They say, this happened and this happened and she's a Christian. You know what they're saying? We expect more of them. Those people live by a higher standard. What happened here? This is out of place. They're actually giving a compliment to the Christian church because they're saying the activity that that person per- performed is out of place with what God called them to. Now, sometimes somebody says to me when I, when I won't give them the money that they, ha- they want me to give them, oh, and you're a Christian? The answer at that point is yeah, and you're a thief. You don't have to just be, be be, you know, hogtied by that idea. But the concept, when somebody says, man, a bad thing happened at the hands of a Christian, that's a good thing for them to say about church. It's a bad thing for them to say about the individual believer. But it's a good thing for them to say about church. If I'm speaking on behalf of God, now, don't get caught up in tongues of men and angels. Don't worry about that. Just, Just think about your own voice. If I am speaking on behalf of God, if I am standing there as a representative of God, and there's no love in my speech, there's no love in the way I go about it, I'm just making noise. And my testimony is just noise. My invitation, hey, why don't you come to church? Well, if it wasn't backed up by love, the person says, why would I go with you? They may not say that out loud, but they're saying it. They might be more polite than that and say, well, no, thanks, I'm busy. Every Saturday for the rest of my life, I'm pretty busy, I think. Cartoons, i got to watch those cartoons. And I'm just picking it up, just pieces. If I have the gift of prophecy, knowledge, or faith without love, nada. I am nothing. Giant zero. Now think about these gifts. Gifts of prophecy, knowledge, and faith. Now, he's not just talking about informational knowledge. He's talking about God-revealed knowledge. If I had the gift of prophecy without love, it's worth nothing. I am, in fact, nothing. I can call myself a prophet, but if I have no love in what I'm doing, nothing. If I've been revealed knowledge, if God has given special revelation of knowledge to me, and there is no love, nothing. Now, just think about this on a practical level. You ever had a really smart teacher who was cranky? How'd that work for you? I had a teacher once who bragged about how they gave bad grades. First day of class. This is not a good way to start. He was not going to be my favorite. Still isn't. I'm still thinking about it. and I'm practically an old man now. I had a teacher who used to throw things at us across the room. I learned a lot from her, but I don't like her. She had a great deal of knowledge to share. But there was no love. I once had a pastor whom I loved dearly, who visited, who reached out and touched people who always knew what was going on in the church, couldn't preach a lick. He was terrible. He, I mean, he was terrible. He was worse than terrible. I don't think he ever wrote anything for a sermon. I think he just got up and kind of started to see where it goes. But the men loved us. And as bad as that was, people came every week. Because during the week, he loved us. Now, I'm not recommending this. Bad preachers should figure out how to do their trade. But, man, that love made a huge impact on me. pastor actually is the one who baptized me. And it was because he loved me. Is because no question in my mind, he cared about what was going on in that church. Without love, those things are of very little value. With love, they are transformative. The love of God makes a huge impact on what's going on in the church. Paul would say to the Galatians in chapter 5, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. You know, the argument about in the church was which was the most appropriate thing to do, whether you had to be circumcised to be right with God or uncircumcised to be right with God. Lots of conversation about it back and forth. Ladies, aren't you glad some conversations are just about the men? This is a conversation I think the women in the church went, you guys just have your way about that. Just talk about that. Enjoy yourselves. At the end of the day, Paul says it doesn't really matter. The only thing that counts. Note the word. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Prophecy expressing itself through love. Knowledge expressing itself through love. If those aren't there, it's really nothing. They have no value. No, no, these are the the big gifts. These are big deal. Jesus would call us to have these things. Jesus would call us to have great faith. And yet if there's no love in it, it's nothing. Nothing. Paul would then go on to describe it this way. Now remember, he's talking to a group of people who have been fighting, who have been contentious, who can't get along, who culturally are all messed up, who don't want to be together. Prophecies will cease, he says. Those of you who think it's really cool that you're the local prophet, and there were people within the Corinthian church who thought it was really cool because they were the local prophet, prophecies will cease. Tongues will stop. Now, this was their big one. They thought this was numero uno. They thought this was the best thing to have in the church. Paul will reset all of that. He always, in his list to them, makes this the last thing that he talks about. Tongues will stop. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will stop. Inspired knowledge? Vanish. Gone. One of the frustrating things about getting older is I spent a long time learning the things I was trying to learn. And as I get older... I forget some of the things I've learned. I spent a lot of time and some some significant money on learning those things, and now they're slipping away. They're beginning to vanish, and Jesus hasn't even come yet. I'm hoping for a little restorative authority in my brain when Jesus comes. But all of those things will stop. But love never fails. Love passes through the veil to eternity. this other stuff stops in the end when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away we know only a little bit we might think we know a lot but we don't turn to your neighbor say, you don't know as much as you think. Go ahead. You've never gotten to do this in church before. Just go ahead. You get to say this to your spouse right now. You get to turn to them and say, you don't know as much as you think. Some of you are not doing this. Some of you are just staring at me right now. I'm looking at this group right here. You don't know as much as you think. You don't. And it's okay. Jesus is coming. And you'll know what you need. You are not as smart as you think, but it's okay. Jesus is coming. And you'll be as smart as you need to be. You're not as pretty as you think, or handsome as the word may be, but it's okay. Jesus is coming. And you'll be as pretty as you need to be. Want not it be great when everyone in heaven is ugly? That isn't what you guys expect. You don't expect for all of us to be equally ugly when we get to heaven? Pride goes before folly. What if you're the only one? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we all be pretty. Who defines it? What you will be is what God intended for you to be, and that'll be awesome. Awesome. See, Paul is simply saying to the Corinthians, look, you've got you've got all kinds of problems here. And all of your problems are temporal. All of your problems are based on the issues of now. You're not looking at heavenly things. You're not living like heavenly beings. You are, by faith, people who are not belonging to the earth anymore. This is not your home. You are bound for a different place. You are on to a different place. And in that place, prophecy doesn't matter. All your knowledge doesn't matter. All the stuff you're arguing about won't matter. Who's rich won't matter. Who's poor won't matter. Who's bald won't matter who's got hair won't matter who's thin won't matter who's fat won't matter none of this matters because when Jesus comes all those things are wiped aside and you get a fresh start and you know what passes through the veil you guys understand what passes from here to there what goes from here to eternity is love this divinely inspired reaction to fellow man and God himself that is what follows through that's what passes through the veil that's what goes from here to there not the rest of the stuff. You want to reset your thinking? Stop and think for a moment about what you're worrying about. When you're really frustrated and worried about something that's going on, life is coming apart and, oh, no, I don't know, I don't know, oh, wow, oh, I don't know. Stop and think. Is this thing going to heaven? When your car breaks down and you're really stressed out about, oh, no, I love this car. I don't want to have to buy a new car. This is my favorite car. I love it. Just ask. Cars on the golden streets? Eh, nah, probably not. Somebody will do burnouts and then they'll just be a mess. When you're looking at your house and you're worried about the the fact the paint's peeling or your lawn needs to be fixed. I mean, my, if you looked at my house right now, my lawn's terrible. Somebody needs to take care of that thing. Somebody has needs to have some more energy and time to be there. It needs some work. But you know what? I get to heaven, Jesus gets a whole new lawn. Not that big a deal, man. When you have a fight with your spouse or your kid, could you you ask, is there a heavenly value being expressed here or am I fighting over some earthly issue? Am I worrying about a heavenly thing here or am I worrying about some earthly issue? It resets a lot of the thinking. If you just remember, not much from here gets to there. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, Corinthians, you guys are a mess and the mess is being caused not by anything of value to God, just by the things you guys are caught up in. Let it go. He's saying, Here are the things that we'll pass through from here to there. And it is pretty simple, guys. It is not much. He says, You don't even understand what's coming. We see only in a mirror dimly. Think about it. You've walked into that place. On highway eighty, right when you get to highway thirty seven, on top of the hills, my favorite rest stop in California. Beautiful views from up there when it's not foggy. Just not totally awesome all the time, but it is good some of the time. Last time I walked in there, I went into the bathroom. You know, after primp. Why are you laughing, Ellen? Wash my hands. Look at this mirror. And there's this scratched up piece of stainless steel. He said, you guys you guys here in Corinth, you make mirrors. You get this. You understand. Some mirrors look really good, but they still don't work all that well. You see, they didn't have the kind of mirrors we had. They have these pieces of, of metal that were all polished up, and that was it. And he says, right now, you're you're barely catching anything. You're, you're, it's such a dim picture of reality that you're looking at. Now I know in part, Now I know in part, but then. Now I know in part, but then. Then, I shall know. Just as I also am known, I will know God personally. I will know God face to. I will see as I am seen. I will know as I am known. Now, I I don't think I'm ever going to fully understand God because God is is the creator and I am the created. But I will see him face to face. And when that happens, everything changes. The values get reset. And I get to know him. And so he ends. And now abides faith, hope, and love. Three graces from God. You are given faith from God. The Bible says faith comes from God. You are given faith, and it is developed and grown by the hand of God. Hope. Hope is that. Wonderful thing that ties back to faith that says, if I, if I believe God, if I trust God, that I can hope that there's a different future. I can hope that something ch- can change. I can hope that there may be an impact that I can't even touch. Three graces of God, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the one that will pass through the veil, is love. That's all that's left in the end. The church in the world, the church in your seat, is kind of a fogged up mirror. It's kind of messy. It's kind of hard to make a clear picture out of what you're looking at. If If you move around a little bit, you can get some here and there. But ultimately, what people measure the church by? Ultimately, what the world measures Jesus by is whether or not the people who claim to follow him love them. Let's pray. Father God, it is so far above us to love like you. we choose to lay aside the things that are today creating petty separations between us and our fellow man. Between us and our family. Between us and our fellow church member. Our our boss or our employee. Between us and our neighbor. Between us and those around us. We choose to lay those things aside. We choose to be vehicles of your love. In this life. And ultimately expressions of Jesus. In this world.